0: Pop culture affidavit episode 30, summer of 99. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Pop Culture Affidavit, a podcast that is taking a complete look at everything random in the world of popular culture. I'm your host, Tom Panarese, and this time around I'm taking a another break from my look at 1994, the most important year of the 90s, to take a look at another year, another summer, about five years later. And that's Summer of 1999. Specifically, I'm going to be taking a look, uh, quick look today at the movies of the Summer of 1999. And before I get to that, I do have an email. It's been a while since I've done an email on this show because you guys have been emailing in. So um, you can email in. It's popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com or you can leave a comment on the blog or you can leave... A comment on the Facebook post, the, the, the Facebook page for the show as well. This one comes from His Excellency Trentus Magnus. And a quick, quick plug, because this I'm recording this on June 25th, and this is going to go up on probably June 26th, um, which means about a week from now, on July 1st, uh, 2014 trentis is going to have his 50th episode of his podcast Trentus magnus punches reality um, i'm one of many many guest stars that he has on the show for that it was a pleasure recording with him i'm hoping to get him on this particular podcast uh, to talk a movie or two and uh, hoping to have a uh t- to be on another one of his episodes but long story short Go and check out Trenches Magnus Punches Reality. Go download episode 50 and then go back. Um, He's done some great stuff recently. The ones I've been listening to recently, he's been doing a short series on sequels, movie sequels that he believes are uh, misunderstood or underrated. And he's had me think twice about a couple of movies that I wasn't, um, was kind of cold on. Um, I don't think I will really ever really like the Matrix sequels but it was a really really good episode and uh, he's made me want to watch Spider-Man 3 again so uh, it's an excellent podcast it's worth checking out it's uh, go over to two truefreaks.com and check out Trentus Magnus Punches Reality now for his email the title of the email is episode 29 now I can die in peace which is my episode about the 94 Rangers he says Tom never took you for a hockey man I've held sports at arm's length my entire life because it's always bored the crap out of me what I came to understand is that they they bore because I was holding on for a manly sport. Hockey's about as manly as it gets, as far as I know. Loved episode 29, Now I Can Die in Peace. I say that even though I haven't actually finished yet. As I say, sports fandom is new to me, and definitely hockey fandom's new, but I can somewhat empathize with your stories from episode 29, Now I Can Die in Peace, inasmuch as the Leafs are my team. It's hard to explain, but the best I can do is assume... I'm drawn to the Leafs for some of the same reason I'm drawn to Superman. The history, the, tr- the tradition, it just seems right to me. I say that to your recollections of that 1940s stuff reminds me of how hockey fans look at me when I say the Leafs are my team. Overrated, fallen on hard times, glory days are behind them, that stuff. Seems like I'm the only one who thinks the Leafs are not only going to win the Cup, but they're going to do it soon. None of this is the point point of it is that it's a ton of fun listening to you wax fanboy over hockey. Because of this episode of Pop Culture affidavit. I somewhat regret spiking the puck over the Rangers losing to L.A. this year. Hope you're well, His Excellency Magnus. Yeah, um, the day I posted that episode, uh, which was the 20th anniversary of the Rangers winning the Cup, was also the day they lost to the L.A. Kings in the Cup Finals for 2014. Um, I had gone to a party earlier that night, because uh, it was our last day, it was my last day of the school year, and uh, my, my department got together at my department chair's house and we were having a party, and um, I left early because I wanted to get home for the game, and I paid the price by staying up until about 1 in the morning because it went into double double overtime and the Kings won the cup in double overtime. It was a good game, and the Rangers put up a really, really good fight, but damn if I was just like miserable uh, the next morning because of it. At least the next morning was a Saturday. Like I said, if you would like to write in, thank you, Magnus, for writing in. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. I'm glad you liked the episode. Um, I was a little wary of actually recording the episode because I think it's the first time in, in many of the, the geek podcasts I've listened to where somebody has actually approached the, the topic of sports and not in the context of like maybe sports movies or something. So I'm, I'm glad at least I'm glad a couple of people um, so they, they enjoyed it. Uh, so thank you, thank you very much. I'm going to take a very quick break, play a promo, and when I get back, I'm going to talk about the summer of 1999 and the movies of the summer of 1999. Trenis Magnus punches reality. Comics, movies, and TV shows. Trenis Magnus punches reality. The People's Geeky Podcast. Trennis Magnus punches reality. Celebrating 50 ball-smashing episodes. Trennis Magnus punches reality. Episode 50, coming July 1st, 2014. Only at 2 twotruefreaks.com. I'm not kidding around either. If I ever find out my show's been syndicated on some other podcast network without my permission, I'll sue a mother. And we're back. So when I was planning out stuff this this year, I was uh, you know looking at a lot of stuff from 1994 and 1994 is so obviously it's 20 years ago. for me, it's 20 years since my junior year of high school ended. So in the fall of '94, I started my senior year. 99 is when I graduated college. I went to Loyola College in Maryland, which is in Baltimore, is now Loyola University, Maryland. <clears throat> and um I graduated in May of 99. And uh I did not attend my college reunion, but but um they did have a 15-year college reunion. So it's a sort of milestone. And, and as I was looking, uh I was thinking about that year, I was thinking about that summer. Um that summer for me. Was one of the, was pretty much the last summer where um, I had kind of total freedom. Um, I had a job offer when I left college. It was to proofread intelligence briefs for uh, the National Imagery and Mapping Agency, NEMA, uh, I was kind of I was working for the CIA and then I was outsourced to them and I was basically sat in a cubicle in an office in the Navy Yard in DC for eight hours a day proofreading things. It, I lasted about nine months before I went mind-numbingly it was mind-numbingly boring and I quit because I was just like I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. But um, but the long story short is uh, between May of '99 when I graduated May 15th of '99 and about October I was like October 15th or so. Um. I didn't have a job. I didn't have to work. I had a job offer coming in. I had some money. I could have probably part-timed or gone back to working at the State Parks Department, which was my summer job back when I was in um, my freshman and sophomore years of college. But I really had no desire to do that. Um, I wanted to—probably should have traveled more, but I did want to go on a couple of trips. I I went down to D.C. quite a number of times, um, hung out with my girlfriend, and uh, looked for an apartment, looked for an apartment, and signed a lease, and and I really wanted to get the show on the road, but at the same time wanted to at least enjoy my last summer at home, and um, that's why that summer has some significance in my life because it just it was there really was the kind of feel of the end the end of an era if you want me to be all sentimental crazy about it <clears throat> but that's not why I'm covering this. I mean I'm covering that, this for to a certain degree but the the bigger reason that I'm covering this is um, as I was thinking about the the movies that came out and, and like what movies I went and saw because my wife and I my girlfriend she was my girlfriend at the time but we're now married um, Amanda and I went to the movies a lot we went to the movies a lot when we were dating um, part of it had to do that when we would visit each other unless we were in each, um, w- unless we were, you know, at each other's campuses, and then we would, you know, go out and and, and, and go to bars and things. Um, for the most part, you know, we'd go to each other's houses, usually her parents' house because it was closer than than mine, and we'd go to the movies because we both grew up in suburbs. We both grew up in towns where there really wasn't much to do. In my town, you could play pool, hang out, or go to the movies, and in her town, you go to the movies or go to one of the local restaurants and hang out for a while. You know, so there really wasn't, you know, you're stuck in suburbia with very little to do. So we, over the course of our um, our dating career, but prior to our graduating college, and, and then eventually we, we moved in together But after college. But uh, prior to that, we went to the movies quite a bit. And I was looking at what we'd seen together. And... What was there, and I, and 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 I was like, oh, we, you know, I was looking through our video collection, and stuff. I was like, oh, we've seen a lot of these movies together. And then I realized that, like, you know, I was looking at what, what came out in '99. I was like, this summer is a big, big summer. Um, and I was because I was looking at like all these great movies that came out, and they all came out like week after week after week after week with one another. Um, so I mean, a- every year <clears throat> Hollywood tries to have the blockbuster summer, have every single movie come out and be the $100 million, $200 million movie, have have everything be, you know, like if they could, they would have an Avengers type of summer every single summer. And, you know, and, and um, 99 was one of those summers where they really did strike gold in that area. It seemed that from um, the beginning of May all the way till... I'd say probably mid-September, they had some sort of big hit going um, for the most part. I mean, there were a couple of clunkers in there, but um, as I'll take a look at it, uh, you really had, like, I don't know if things were firing on all cylinders or this was just kind of the culmination of, of a decade of... Of of movie making, um, or it was the sort of rise of the blockbuster again. Because the early nineties, the early nineties have their blockbusters. You've got the Addams Family, you have the Batman movies. Um, but overall, if you want to talk summer big summer blockbusters, the last few years of the nineteen nineties are the ones to talk about. It. And to be honest with you, there's a lot. If you look at the seventies and you look at the nineties, there's a there's a lot of a parallel. Over the late seventies, you you had the dawn of the blockbuster era through Jaws and Star Wars and and, and what have you, and through the end of the nineties, you've got you've got blockbuster movies at the beginning of the decade, but then you get into the mid to late nineties and you have Independence Day and Batman Forever and and disaster movies in the same way that there were seventies disaster movies, and then you have. 98, and you have 99. I think was Armageddon was the big movie, but then you have 99, and 99 is when you have a lot of the the movies that come out that have a lot more influence than a lot of kind of previous um, flicks had. Um, and and I'll run through. I've got the Wikipedia 1999 movie in film page up and I'm just gonna run through starting uh, with May 7th and going all the way to, to, to about September uh, I think is 17th which is mid-september I'm gonna just run down a list of, of these are the movies that came out in the summer of 99 starting with the mummy then election uh some movie called Trippin which again there were movies that came out that nobody really saw there was a version of A Midsummer Night's Dream Ghost Dog The Way of the Samurai Star Wars Episode 1 The Phantom Menace uh The Straight Story which was a David Lynch film that that got quite an, a bit of critical acclaim Notting Hill um The 13th Floor which which uh like I said some some things were hyped but not didn't necessarily do too well uh, just as um, instinct. <laughs> Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. The general's daughter. Tarzan, the Disney cartoon version. Tarzan. Big Daddy. South Park. Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Wild Wild West. Summer of Sam. American Pie. Arlington Road. Muppets, Muppets from space. space. Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> oh, Lake Placid. Drop Dead Gorgeous, which story I read the screenplay to Drop Dead Gorgeous about a year before the movie came out because the the studio I was interning at a publishing company and the studio was trying to get like tie ins together or something like would you want to put a tie in book together and uh, I read that and I read the the Rage Carry Two and I think we all both decided nah we're gonna pass on this it was one of the few decisions that I actually made as an intern Uh, the haunting. Inspector Gadget, Deep Blue Sea, The Blair Witch Project, Runaway Bride, Dick, The Iron Giant, Mystery Men, The Sixth Sense, The Thomas Crown Affair, Bowfinger, Oh, Broke Down Palace, De- Detroit Rock City, which I will now admit I saw in the theater, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, Universal Soldier, of The Return, yeah, because... We needed to see what of that. Um, the Thirteenth Warrior, eh, the Astronaut's Wife. And now we're kind of getting into the into the end of it here. Outside Providence, I think. Don't remember Stigmata doing very well. Blue streak was it? And American Beauty. That's the one. I American Beauty and For the Love of the Game round out um, September, and then the the Ashley Judd movie Double Jeopardy came out in uh, on September 24th. But if you, I mean, there are some serious clunkers in there, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But for the most part, this was a summer when going to the movies was just awesome because it seemed like every week another huge important movie was coming out. Um, and you know, I'm not going to add up summer box office receipts or anything like that, but I do remember that even though uh, American Beauty would win Best Picture, but if you go back and I don't remember who all the uh, who all the different academy award nominees were that year. But if you go back through the academy award nominees for best picture, it's one and, and best actor in, in that year. That is a really really strong year for for the academy awards as well. So so we end um in a sense we end the millennium on a on a very high note even though the millennium doesn't technically start until 2001 and 2000 in and, and in many ways 2000 would be kind of a kind of a hangover of of 1999 but 99 is a big big year and and what I'm gonna do for this episode is uh, I'm not going with any particular notes here I've I've I'm podcasting in the raw so to speak I'll edit this together just just the way I did the Rangers episode and it's not me being all like you know creative ah uh, this is this is how how my art works now no it's me being a lazy ass and not putting notes together and I have not watched. Um, Many of these movies since they came out, Uh, but uh, some of them I have here and there, but uh, I'm looking at the movies that I'm going to be talking about, and I can tell you which ones I've seen more than twice, and which ones I've seen maybe in the last 10 years, Um, but what I'm going to do is I've picked 10, and uh, all 10 of these I saw, 9 out of the 10 of these I saw in the theater, first run. The 10th one, I did not say I waited to rent the video, but I think it was important enough to talk about. And I'm going to go through those 10 movies. Uh, Just give a little bit, not a synopsis, but I just really want to talk about what I remember about them, what I remember really liking about them, uh, what I remember kind of being cool about them. And, uh, and my experience going because all ten of these movies are ones that you probably have seen or at least are familiar with on some level. So I'm going to take another quick break, play a promo, and then I'm going to come into the longer segment of this episode, and that is the my ten movies from 1999 that you are we're about to about. witness history in the making. Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films and if you spend all your time watching new releases then you need to broaden your movie horizons and a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Filmcast we don't talk about the new releases we don't even talk about the classics we talk about the movies that time forgot on each episode I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering so look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic and wherever you find great podcasts and we're back. So, ten movies from the summer of '99 that I feel um, are of some import. <laughs> um, they've either had an impact. Honestly, it's because I, I saw them in the theater. I, uh, I I saw a lot of movies in the theater. Like, I'm not going to be talking about Detroit Rock City, which I did. I went by myself to see that movie. Because for some reason I thought a teenage sex comedy centering around Kiss would be worth paying nine dollars for. Don't ask. I was probably bored and had nothing better to do. Anyway, so these ten movies were big ones. They have had an influence for the better or worse in some cases, and and that's why they're getting. Uh, that's why they're getting their due. The first of the ten movies actually is not one that I mentioned in the. Uh, in the previous segment, because it didn't, it didn't come out during the summer. This movie came out on March 31st, but by the time you hit uh, the second movie that I'm going to talk about, which came out in mid May, uh, I'm going to I'm going to talk about the Phantom Menace, and that came out in mid May. This movie kind of kind of took the steam out of it because I don't. I don't think you know, and this is this is my kind of um, recollection of 1999. And I was in um, college still. I was this was uh, spring of '99, so I was aware of what was happening in the world and was happening coming to movie screens, and so much as that. I, I think we caught trailers for things in between viewings of Sports Center and The Simpsons. So, or, or episodes of, you know, the Thursday night watching of Friends and ER and stuff. So, so I didn't exactly have my finger on the pulse of popular culture. I don't have it now, but I can fake my way through it. But, um, I don't remember this movie being like this was going to be the movie. I want to say this was a bit of a surprise to some people. Probably just me, though. And that's The Matrix, is you have to see it for yourself the matrix came out on march 31st and um i remember seeing the commercial on television and i remember uh not giving it that much attention uh maybe it was because keanu reeves was in it and i just thought it's going to be some shitty Keanu Reeves action movie. There's going to be horrible computer animation in some respects. The plot was going to be stupid. It was going to be like Johnny Mnemonic all over again, or something to that extent. And, then, and <clears throat> I've got to tell you, um, and again, so this and this for all I know, like people were really, really, really hyped to see the Matrix back in in in, in ninety nine. I know they were really hyped to see the Matrix uh, Reloaded when that would come out, but I wasn't. I felt, I remember feeling that I had been burned by, for lack of a better word, virtual reality movies in the early 90s. I had gone to see in the theater The Lawnmower Man, Ghost in the Machine, Virtuosity. Um, they all had shit computer animation the Lawnmower Man had a decent plot to it. But overall, it was like... Uh, it just it didn't... I remember thinking these movies should have been better than they were. And they were just very, very horribly written. Um, so when I saw The Matrix... And honest, honestly, what's the takeaway from The Matrix trailer? Is it the bullet time? Is it some of the stuff that they showed? No, it's Keanu Reeves going, Whoa. And... So then I'm like, oh, this is going to be like Chain Reaction and, and and his version of the Day of the Earth that's still, which I don't even know if, if those were out yet. But this is going to be shit. And um, I, but I went and saw it. I think seeing enough of the trailers, I was like, all right, this might be worth it. Or or I went and saw it with, um, I probably went and saw it with Amanda. Uh and I was like, and maybe a friend of mine said, no, you really, really should see this. I honestly have no recollection. I have, honestly, I have, I know I saw it in the theater, and I know I was really, really pleasantly surprised by this movie. I was like, this movie's a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. And and I thought the effects were really cool. I thought the fight scenes were really cool. The story, um, if you really boil down the story of The Matrix, it's, it's kind of a, I don't want to say run of the mill, but it's it's a very very straightforward story. It's you know there there's elements of the Terminator in there, there's there's you know there's dystopian science fiction in there. There's 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 a lot of different tropes that we've seen. There's the betrayal and and all these different things. And the Wachowskis just made it seem new to us, you know. And you saw the influences a lot of different things. Um, I think I was in a James in the same way that James Cameron had me rooting more for Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. I think I was more impressed with Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity rather than Keanu Reeves as Neo to be completely honest with you. And um the final final the, the third act the climax of the movie the whole the whole fight uh the whole action sequence eventually with the fight uh with the big helicopter crash and then the fight in the subway and and um it was that was worth going. That was worth the price of admission alone and and um the the movie is is pretty tight, and like I said, this movie it goes without saying this movie was influential for the better part of the decade. I mean there were there were things that we saw we would see this show up in like like a, a cars dot com or a carmax commercial like you know where that that scene that scene where he's like we need guns and like all the guns come flying at them on like shelves and they would do one with like cars or something. I want a Ford and all the Fords, a blue one, you know, and and so like it it whittled its way down to advertising. And like I said, I wanted even though the Matrix didn't come out in the summer of ninety nine, it was it was it gained steam. It started off really well and it gained steam and it it stayed pretty popular going into May. And it took kind of took a little bit of the piss out of The Phantom Menace, because The Phantom Menace is the second movie I'm going to talk about. And The Phantom Menace came out on May 19th. the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the Force. You believe it's this boy? He can see things before they happen. He can help you. The Force is unusually strong with him. He was meant to help you. Anakin! Tell him to take off! Will I ever see you again? What does your to tell you? Are you sure about this? Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know? Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. <laughs> This was supposed to be the movie. Um, I mean, it still was the movie, but uh, Lucas had, had, in the early part of the decade, and, and people who are Star Wars fans know this, so they, you know, I'm not telling anybody anything new, Lucas had announced that he was making episodes 1, 2, and 3. Um, and then we we honestly didn't hear much about it. The internet was not what it was today what it is today. I'm I'm sure that there was stuff revealed about episode one prior to what we saw, but but not on the level of what we're seeing about episode seven to a certain extent. And certainly not on a level where we we will see we see about stuff like, you know, the Superman Batman movie, which um everybody already hates. I, almost like I almost want Nolan and Snyder who are producing the movie to say, "You know what? Fuck all y'all. You're right. We're not going to make the movie. You win." But I also don't want them because I kind of want Superman Batman to be a good movie. Just to shut everybody else the fuck up. I'm just like I want I just I want to enjoy a movie without having to hear the internet bitch, but I also want a million dollars. That's probably more likely. So anyway, um, Star Wars Episode One gets announced, and I remember as early as the fall of and winter of '98 seeing covers for uh, of the cover of like Entertainment Weekly. You know, coming in '99, the big questions of the coming year, and one of them is: Will Phantom Menace, uh, or will Episode One beat Titanic? And that's the thing. There was um, there was an enormous amount of pressure put on this film because it was a Star Wars movie. Because it was the first Star Wars movie since nineteen eighty three, not counting the re releases. Uh, the re releases were obviously just them priming the pump uh, for ninety nine in the Phantom Menace and seriously fucking up Return of the Jedi. What is that Jedi rock sequence? But um, but Episode One, this was like this was seriously if this. This was going to be a disappointment if it did not break all the box office records. Um, And and I wrote a post about this about a year ago, right around the time Man of Steel came out. And it was basically, I learned a lesson. Uh, This movie taught me that um, you can be disappointed and easily let down by a movie. um, Because there was so much anticipation for it. And... I saw this movie three times in the movie theater. I saw it with Amanda. I went and saw it up in Boston with my friend Harris. And then I, I either went with my friend Tom or I just went by myself and, and saw it by myself. And um, so like it or hate it, I knew I was going to see it more than one time. And I rarely, if ever, go to see a movie twice in the theater. I just usually wait until it comes out a video and rents it again. But this was like, you know... We were all chomping at the bit for this movie. They they aired the trailer on the evening news. We watched the 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 Channel Eleven in Baltimore's evening news because at the end of the news they ran the entire first episode one trailer, and we taped it. And we watched it over and over and over again. People were going to see the movie. I want to say it was Enemy of the State, the Will Smith movie, just because the trailer was going to be in the movie. I mean, this is how big this was. This is how big the trailer was. And there were posters that people were like, oh, look at this poster. It was Jake Lloyd, and there was the shadow of Darth Vader behind him, standing on Tatooine. And um, I remember being... Um, being in the mall, uh, in Tyson's Corner Galleria, uh, the week after graduation, because I had to go down to Northern Virginia for a physical and a security clearance screening for for my my upcoming job, and I was killing time until um I had to either go to the airport or I had to go somewhere, but I was killing time in in the mall and. Um, There was the the Phantom Menace was due out in a couple of days, and they had all of the merchandise out in uh, like Walden books, I think it was, and they had uh, some of the kid stuff, and like they had a standout cardboard cutout, believe it or not, of Jar Jar Binks, and and I could tell like that was the character, that was the kitty character, the the kind of Ewok type character and stuff, so. I kind of knew going in that not that the character was going to be as annoying as he was, but that he was definitely a uh, the character that was aimed towards kids. And we went and saw it, and I liked it. I don't think I thought it was as good as Star Wars Empire or Jedi, or, or maybe I didn't even form an opinion on that, to be honest with you. I'm trying to remember, but I saw it three times. Um, and then I got it on video. I got it on VHS. It was one of the last VHS tapes I ever owned. I think I sold it on eBay for a dollar or something. I might have not have even sold it on eBay. I might have just given it to the Goodwill once I got it on DVD, but um, Phantom Menace, uh, you know, when I but when I, I remember when I watched it on DVD though, I only watched it like on VHS though. I only watched it like through once and then I just fast forwarded or found the final lightsaber battle and watched that a few times. Like, so to me, it, it, it caught on eventually that the movie was a little bit incomplete or the movie was a little bit of a letdown. Um, I, I still have some of the toys in the basement, and I looked up how much that Darth Maul figure is worth, and it's f- worth about as much as I paid for it back in 1999, so that there you have that. But I had this feeling of... The disappointment from from this came later when people were were making fun of stuff like Jar Jar and were, were expressing their disappointment, and i still was very defensive about the film because i thought that as fans if you were if you thought it sucked you had been asking for too much to begin with that you were asking for darth vader to appear in the first one when even i knew he wasn't going to appear until 3 looking back at the movie now it's it's too long and i think that's the one major criticism I have I I think it deserves an edit and the reason and it's not to edit out Jar Jar I just think that there are sequences of the movie that just go on for too long like the pot racing sequence and some of it could be tightened up a little bit and the dialogue and the dialogue in all the prequels is very very clunky and some of it the dialogue in Star Wars is very clunky in its cases um I was I was talking to a colleague at work the other day because because she was born in eighty five, so she was a teenager. Um, she was like in middle school or, or beginning high school in nineteen ninety nine. I said so. So I asked her flat out. Um, did you see the prequels first? Because she's a Star Wars fan. She says, no, I saw the special editions in the theater first and then went and saw the prequels. And she said, I, I have the original I have the original versions on VHS. I don't know what I did with them. I was like, I have them on VHS too. Because I, um, my first Star Wars experience in the theater was Jedi back in 83. Uh, so I still have yet to, to meet somebody who saw the prequels first. But I asked her what she saw to them. She's like, you know, they're not as bad as everybody says. I said, yeah, they're just that she said but but then there's that, like you know the feeling of sand or something that line about sand and how it's rough and how you, and, and and I was like oh yes hold me like you did on Naboo like oh my god some of that in episode 2 and 3 you're just like shut up but one again it disappointed because it didn't it, it wasn't it wasn't the empire strikes back it wasn't star wars um star wars proper it was a decent movie Um, I think out of the three prequels it holds up the least Um, I don't think you can completely discard it I think it does properly lay the groundwork for a few things but could have used a lot more and I remember walking out like I said I saw it three times I remember walking out wanting to see it not just because I wanted to watch Star Wars I have Star Wars I've had it on tape for years I could have watched it And I eventually have it on DVD as well. So I can't rag on it too much. Maybe one day I will redo what I did years ago, which was watch all six in one day. Uh, Maybe I'll give it a shot and do it in the order where you watch four and five, then one, two, and three, and then Jedi. Um, You know, so, but, so I'm not, I'm not too cold on the phantom menace uh and that was that was the big kickoff of the summer that was the thing we were all waiting for That was the thing that we we're all psyched about and uh, i was really really glad to have seen it in the theater and, and seen all three of those movies in the theaters uh the next movie was also was a sequel uh and this was austin powers the spy who shagged me do you swing are you kidding baby I put the girl in Swinger, baby, yeah. yeah! Austin Powers Crazy, baby, yeah! is yeah, baby. Yeah. back Yeah, baby, yeah! With the help of the beautiful Felicity Shagwell. How does it feel, baby? Um, lower. How does that feel, baby? Uh. In a thrilling adventure of intrigue, treachery. Love. But, Dr. Evil is back, and more evil than ever. I'm going to cry, going to cry. <laughs> hum, hum. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go back to the 60s and steal Austin Powers' Mojo. No Ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to travel through time, I bid you adieu. <laughs> a bombshell with a secret, Robin Swallows. Swallows? That's an interesting name. Mate name Spitz. Well, which is it, baby? Spitz or Swallows? <laughs> hmm. Dr. Evil, we began a program to clone you. He is exactly like you in every way one eighth your size. I shall call him Mini Me. Mini Me! Something small, something deadly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh. Mike Myers <laughs> Mike Myers What are you some kind of freak You mother <laughs> <laughs> Heather Graham Move over Rover This chick is taking over And Mike Myers Surprise surprise In the biggest Austin Powers adventure yet Austin Powers The spy who shagged me Great plan Einstein Alright chip it You it's it simple. Subtitle. Zip it. Found it. Zip. The... Zip. Zip. Oh, you know? Zip. It... Um, Austin Powers International Man of Mystery had come out in my junior year of college, I think it was the beginning of ninety-eight. And this was another movie that uh, kind of took everybody by surprise about how big it became, in that it it was it was it looked like a really funny movie. Amanda and I went to see it in the theater and really liked it. And I remember um, it did really well, and then and then it it again it got legs and it became much bigger than you would have expected a silly spy parody comedy to get. Um, I. Knew the sequel was coming out. I was kind of cold on going to see it, and the reason for that had nothing to do with the first movie, but it had to do with the fact that my friends would not let up on the stupid ass Austin Powers impressions. So it's almost like I had reached peak saturation point with all of the references and Doctor Evil impersonations and 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 Austin Powers impersonations, like you know that people were doing. And I'm just like, oh god. Like, if I heard, yeah, baby, like one more time, I was like, I don't want to, uh, no. And, but, you know, I was visiting Harris in Boston, and, and he's like, yeah, let's go see it. So we went and saw it, and um, this is the first time I'd ever been in a theater with stadium seating. We saw The Phantom Menace, we saw Austin Powers like two nights in a row. And uh, it was the first time I'd ever been to a movie theater that had stadium seating. Uh, I'd always, for my whole movie-going career, I either went to the Sable Triplex, which has been open for, God, decades now, or the Patchogue Multiplex, which is no longer standing. UA UA the movies of Patchogue, which opened as a multiplex in the late 80s. It was an out, indoor-outdoor drive-in for the longest time in the indoor theater. The original theater was where I saw Jedi, and then they added on a building to that indoor theater and made it a multiplex probably about... I want to say like 8687 and my friends and I and my family and I went and saw oh, dozens and dozens of movies there over the years until they finally knocked down a few years ago. In fact, I did a whole um, post on that way back in the beginning of the days of the blog. And um, so but this was a stadium seating theater and this was the first time I'd ever been there and these are kind of these theaters are kind of par for the course now. So it's it is ninety nine. It's kind of the beginning of that era, and it's the it's the end of that the, the old school multiplex era, which which I have a fondness for because it's where I cut my teeth as a moviegoer. The other thing I will always take away from Austin Powers: The Spy Who Shagged Me was the trailer. One of the trailers that I saw was for the Blair Witch Project, and. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit, but I was like, I just remember seeing that trailer, like, what is this? Um, and then going on and watching Austin Powers, and remember finding it some of it funny, but for the most part, finding it stupid, like stupid, stupid, not like stupid funny, f- stupid, but like stupid, stupid, and ha- a couple of jokes that I was just like, really, the whole fat bastard part of it, I. Hated. But then again, I'm I'm not the hugest fan of gross out humor that goes as far to show like like, you know, just that sort of thing. Um I was the Barfarama scene in Stand By Me still kinda makes me a little bit queasy. And um the scene where Austin Powers drinks the the shit, I was like, oh god. Like we went we went there now. There was there was an intelligence. There was there was There were dick jokes and shit jokes and and gross and gross out jokes and stuff in Austin Powers and International Man Man of Mystery. But that movie I thought felt always had a little bit more intelligence to this, to it. And then this was just like, this got even more juvenile. And I remember walking out of that thinking, okay, that's funny, but I don't think I'll go see that again. And I actually have not seen it since I saw it in the theater back in '99. Um, I haven't seen Austin Powers, the first one in probably 15 years either and I never saw a gold member I just I think I had tired out on that anyway um the next one was another comedy and and we talk about the end of an era the beginning of another uh it was Big Daddy New York if you want to enter the greatest city on earth first you have to get by one person. Shut up! You shut up! Let's go! I'm waiting on you! Sonny Koufax had an easy job. You're a toll collector. Where are you going? A- you want to take me with you? I guess. And led a simple life. The delivery guy's like your best friend. Come back later today. I'll, I'll end the you. Okay. Peace out. Until the day... You refuse to move on to the next phase of your life. She wants different things, you know? His girlfriend dumped him for someone else. I found someone. This old guy? He has a five-year plan. What is it? Don't die? Now, to win her back... I gotta do something big with my life. He's getting her a little surprise. I want you to meet Julian. My son. Our son. I adopted him. (laughs) Great. Now what? Now. You wear a diaper? No. Sonny Koufax is finding out. Should I have a nightlight? Nightlight? Once you adopt a kid. There you go, all right? You better give that kid back. I I tried to give him back. You got to keep him. Go back to sleep. I wet my bed. All right. Nice and dry. No more music in you. Yeah. Do that thing I taught you the other day. <laughs> that one touched the ground. That one touched the ground. <laughs> Columbia Pictures presents... We stop serving breakfast at 10.30. No! Oh, please. Don't cry, don't cry. Have you got a happy meal? Can we get a happy meal? Well, will stop it get you a happy meal. Adam Sandler. It's gonna be fun. You get nervous? Happy Halloween. We got a first timer out here. Do the right thing, buddy. Hang out right here for a second, all right? Are hey, you what? Big Daddy. Yeah, that's it. Okay, yeah, that's that's good. Trick or treat. Next year, be prepared, moron. The Adam Sandler movie where um he supposedly has had a kid and he has to raise this kid and <clears throat> and it was like you know Adam Sandler for being forced to grow up and this is the last Adam Sandler movie I remember seeing in the theater. In fact, we had to go see this twice because the first time we went to see the see it, the projector broke down. It was the uh, the Regal Aquia of and down and Stafford and Amanda and I. went. I think we might have gone with one or two of her friends, and um it was. Um, it was all right. I remember seeing this a couple of times. Rented it on video at least once, and uh, we had um, there were a couple of movies that scenes that I remember. I remember the the running joke about how old Christy Swanson's like new boyfriend was. And in fact, I remember my favorite line was like, you know, you know, she's like seeing the Pepperidge Farm guy now or something. But it it was almost too serious of a comedy for Adam Sandler, uh, whereas. We will watch Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore and The Wedding Singer over and over and over and over again, and and this is one we saw a couple of times, but um, Sandler would later come out with Little Nicky, I want to say was his next one, and neither of us went and saw that, and, and then he really hasn't recovered from the late 1990s. He's made of his fair share of movies, and they've done pretty well, but... There was a time when he was like the comedy draw. He was the Jonah Hill of his day, or the. This was kind of the end of that, where within a few years, you'd have Apatow coming along with his movies. You'd have stuff like Wedding Crashers, and you'd have two movies that, uh, two comedies that overshadowed anything Sandler did this summer that, that are my next two. One of them, um, and I'm doing these chronologically, by the way, um, One, and the next one is South Park. Bigger, longer, and uncut. Once upon a time, a man drew a little mouse, and his animated vision enchanted children of all ages. This summer, that man will be spinning in his grave. Oh, why, God, why? Paramount Pictures and Warner Brothers present (laughs) South Park going to be the best movie ever. Hooray! Invading. Eric, did you just say the F word? Did he say the S word? Young man, did you just say the Q word? <laughs> we have to get you children off of foul language. Your theater. The machinery of the V-chip emits a small shock of electricity whenever an obscenity is uttered. <gasps> this summer. i are late, Cartman. I had to ride my back here. My behind is killing me. You're behind? I have to stay behind because I get shocked if I say... <laughs> Kyle Roslovski. This is sweet. Stan Marsh. How do they come up with this stuff? Eric Cartman. <coughs> that movie has watched my fragile little man. Kenny McCormick. Jeez. Chef. Have you ever heard of the Emancipation Proclamation? I don't listen to hip-hop. Satan? Sex the only thing that matters to you. Yeah! I love you. And Big JL. You big Phillies! <laughs> On June thirtieth. Throw the switch, Mr. Garrison. Hey, I'm supposed to be anonymous. It's not just another day in the park, ah! son. We accidentally replaced your heart with a baked potato. You have about three seconds to live. Whoop! South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Tell them we we'll have punch and pet. We're not gonna have punch and pie. My people will come if they think we have punch and pat! We've got to see this movie, dude. You forget sometimes that South Park's been on the air since like 1997, um, and this was this was a movie that you could go see if you had just a passing knowledge of South Park. You didn't have to. This isn't like the X Files movie that I went and saw and thought, do I have to know something about the X Files in order to you know go see this movie? Um, South Park, you just essentially had to know who the characters were and have a little bit of a background on it because the plot itself was all self-contained. And the plot centered around like a Terrence and Phillips movie and an invasion of Canada and Saddam Hussein being like fucking Satan and all this crazy like hard R-rated stuff that was just like, let's see how much we can get away with. And... It had one of the best jokes of the summer, which was um, the, the the U.S. Army's going into battle against the forces of Satan and Saddam Hussein, and the black guy turns to the white guy and says, You used to say people are going to die, which, from what I read, they put that in there because they had seen the trailer and they and they kind of, Trey Parker and Matt Stone looked at Jar Jar Binks and said, that's going to be the most annoying character in the movie. We have to make fun of this line. The fact that they made it a black guy was completely coincidental. And if you knew anything about the Phantom Menace and the the fallout from that movie, it was that there were a lot of complaints about Jar Jar Binks being a racist stereotype. In the same way, I think there was the Gungans were seen as a racist stereotype. So South Park just kind of nailed it, both exactly and inadvertently exactly. And what I remember taking away from this was I was walking in a theater and I had laughed my ass off the entire movie and I thought it was one of the best movies I had seen so far and there were people walking out of that movie going, this sucked, why was there so much singing? And all I could think to myself was like, you assholes, it's a satire of a Disney film. Like that was in my head. It's like the only cartoon movies that anybody was seeing through the 90s, were all Disney films. It was The Little Mermaid, and Beauty and the Beast, and The Lion King, and Mulan, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, and what did they all have? They all had songs, they all had soundtracks, you know, Part of Your World, and The Circle of Life, and and Be Our Guest, and like, you know, they were all musicals, because that's what we were used to from our cartoon movies. Um There were cartoons that had come out that didn't have musical numbers in them, of course, before this. But for the most part, the vast majority of cartoons, feature cartoons, had musical numbers in them. So South Park took that... And totally tore it to shreds to the point where they had that whole West Side story type of medley, like right before the climactic battle and everything. And songs like What Would Brian Boitano do and Blame Canada. Blame Canada was nominated for an Oscar and lost out to the song from Tarzan, the Phil Collins song. Um Uncle Fucker won the best movie, the MTV Movie Award for Best uh, Song, which I was just like you guys at MTV just want to be able to say Uncle Fucker over and over and over again throughout um, the MTV Movie Awards, but whatever. It, it's a movie I really haven't seen. Um, I think I've seen it like twice. I have it on VHS down in my basement, and I've never really watched it. Um, I've not watched South Park consistently in years. It might be worth putting back in and seeing if it's if it's worth the, uh, worth the time to watch. In fact, a number of these movies are... Um, one movie that I know holds up because this is probably the movie I've watched the most since 1999 out of all of these, save for probably The Phantom Menace and The Matrix, is American Pie. In their May issue, Movie Line Magazine released its top summer movies to see after Star Wars. Austin Powers. American Pie. Wild Wild West. Eyes Wide Shut. Notting Hill. Which and makes us running. ask the question, why American Pie? okay well one time at band camp i stuck a flute <coughs> is it the getting caught hey jimmy just wanted to say sweet dreams yeah yeah good night mom i i think he's trying to watch some illegal channels here legal illegal channels this is just a bad reception huh? oh baby what's that you know this what just, just uh, give me this oh, and uh, let's God. get this how's yeah. uh, oh. the, the yeah. matter with this thing here The awkward moments. I want the right time, the right moment, the right place. It's not a space shuttle launch, it's sex. The infatuation. I love you. (laughs) Yeah, okay. The desperation. What exactly does it feel like? Warm apple pie. The fascination. Huh? We'll just tell your mother that uh, that, uh, we ate it all. You know, guys, maybe I'm just not good with girls, period. All that you gotta do is just ask them questions and listen to what they have to say and stuff. I don't know, man, that sounds like a lot of work. Here's to the next step. Universal Pictures presents... Perhaps you could help me with my studies? If you ever had a chance with Nadia, this is it. Ah! A story about the moves. You bad boy! The madness. What you drinking? Scotch. Single malt. Aged 18 years. The way I like it. And the moments in our lives. Please, God, let this be it. If you want to hook up with her, tell her you love her. That's how I was duped. That are as American as apple pie. Boy, it's been a long time since we've had the little father-son uh, chat. Oh, I, I almost forgot. I bought some magazines. Well, this is the this is the uh, female form. Look at the expression on her face. She's kind of looking right into your eyes, saying, "Hey, big boy? Oh, my God. Well, American Pie. You do? Know, I forgot you've been there and that. Well, you know I've everything. learned about it I really do to sit here and talk to Amanda and I went to see this. We were house-sitting for her friend. Uh, up in Alexandria. And we went to see it at this multiplex in Alexandria. That's no longer open. Um, I pass it every year. On my way home from the Baltimore Comic Con. And we saw that. And we saw. Eyes um, it Shut the next week. But American Pie. Everybody knew. Going into that movie. That there was going to be the scene where Jason Biggs fucks a pie. Because it was in the trailers. But that did not make the movie. That was That was them trying to one up the Farrelly brothers because the previous year we'd had there's something about Mary and um, the the scene where Ben Stiller jerks off and and Cameron Diaz puts the what she thinks is hair gel in her hair and her hair sticking up and everything. it's just like eh hey, gross and um and you had of course there were a couple other scenes of that movie, but American Pie had that scene, but there is a there's an honesty about that movie that is what makes it transcend your typical sort of Porky's sex comedy, which is what it was also trying to be. Um, there's a little bit of romantic heart to it, uh, but there's also just this this honest truth, like Jim's character with all of the assorted, various, and assorted masturbation uh, mishaps or, or things. Uh, the scrambled porn scene in the beginning is. Just the fact that he's watching scrambled porn and going, Oh, that's a tit, I mean that is it's it's a dead on um it's something that's completely dead on. And uh unfortunately current generations won't know from that because uh if you've got cable, they don't scramble channels anymore. They just say this is not since it's all digital, like this is just not available, you have to you have to order it. But back in the day, if you flipped around and you came across, you know, different scrambled channels. And sometimes it was HBO or Showtime, but very often it was Playboy. And depending on the cable service, sometimes you actually got a clear um, picture from the scrambled thing. It was like you saw a blue boob or, or, or something like that. And you're like, ooh, porn, you know. Um, but that scene alone, um, the fact that the two guys called Stifler's mom a milf, uh, which did not originate in that movie that was slang my friends and I had been using for years by that point um but the 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 whole thing the 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 scene where Fitch hits on Stifler's mom toward the end and they're playing not only Mrs. Robinson but the same version of Mrs. Robinson that's used in The Graduate had me howling with laughter out loud in the theater was the only one who was laughing out loud in the theater about that because mainly because I love The Graduate and and uh and I was one of the people, only people who wasn't like you know, sixteen, sitting in the theater. Um, the 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 scene with Shannon Elizabeth video saving or her, putting her on the internet, um, actually kind of ahead of its time, uh, because there was. There's only so much capability to do that back in 1999, especially since most of these people would have been on dial-up. But if you think about it, that actually holds up pretty well, and you could actually do that with more ease. Not that I'm saying that you should, and I'm sure that we could have, like, you know, I'm sure the whole post on Jezebel somewhere about it. But you look at this movie, and you look at some of the jokes and, and the way the script is written. Um, I remember walking out of the movie and, like, wanting to see it again. And I saw, I saw this multiple times. I took my friend Catherine, and I went to see it. Um, She laughed hysterically. And this was the first movie I remember buying on video specifically to have the unrated version um, on video. And, And after this, like, unrated versions of movies started coming out left and right, and some of them were really, really worth it, and some of them was like, oh, great, there's an extra boob shot. This is, quote, unrated because of this. But the unrated version of American Pie had a couple of other extra scenes and also had a different version of the pie scene where in the theatrical cut... Biggs gets on the pie he's standing up but on in the unrated version he actually lays down on the counter on the kitchen island and and does the missionary position with the pie and Eugene Levy walks in and again it's the movie's well cast it's well written and um, it it was one of my favorite films of the summer for the in in some ways overshadowing the Phantom Menace and and the Matrix and stuff Um, I'm a big fan of teen comedies and this was like one of the one of the better ones, and there was a lot that came out after that. Uh, Road Trip was an attempt to kind of do the same thing to a lesser extent. Um, there are certain scenes from Road Trip that are still very very funny, but the, the movie definitely not as good. There were there were two sequels. There were actually many sequels to American Pie. American Pie Two is good the first time you see it. It has diminishing returns upon repeated viewings, and the best scene is actually a deleted scene. If you watch the deleted scenes to American Pie 2, there's an extended version of where they're all sitting around a table at the party at the beginning of the movie playing Asshole, which again is dead on. And it, it again, it's one of those scenes that like, you know, this is where they got that right. And that's what was that was what was so great about American Pie, is that they got so many of those different scenes right. American Wedding was meh. Um, and I have not seen American Reunion. I probably will just, just to just to see it. The next movie um, is Eyes Wide Shut. what's the big mystery? The hell. I have seen one or two things in my life. Never anything like this. You know there is no way on earth that you're going to leave here tonight without taking me with you. did a bad, bad thing. Baby did a bad, bad thing. Baby did a bad, bad thing. Baby did a bad, bad thing. You we love someone so much you thought your little heart was going to into. I didn't think so. You ever try with all your heart and soul to get your lover back to you? On, oh, so. You ever pray with all your heart and soul just to walk you walk away? Suppose I said that all of that was fake. Uh, The Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman movie directed by Stanley Kubrick, who died shortly before the movie was released, and it's a drama about sex and marriage and... It's very adult. I remember the two of us going to see this. Like we're like, oh, we have to go see this movie because it's it's um, it's eyes wide shut. the The ad campaign we remember very vividly. There was there was a uh, orchestral score version, but there is also um, use of the Chris Isaacs song "Baby Did a Bad Bad Thing" in the in the movie uh, and in the trailers, and and to the point where American Pie. They cut a trailer for American Pie and put it on television, where they made fun of the the trailers for Eyes Wide Shut using BB uh, Baby to bad, bad thing and were um, using the it might have been the piano or orchestral part one or one of them using the pie scene and and that actually had us laughing and I remember going to the theater seeing this movie and the two of us going to Outback afterwards and discussing it and. Eventually, I think figuring out that this movie wasn't as good as we thought it was or um, or that it was just like there was a lot that they made out of this movie. And and I remember they digitally put in people uh, to some of the orgy scenes so that it wouldn't be as um, risque as they were making it. And it being sort of... There's something narcissistic about Eyes Wide Shut that, that even now I can't quite put my finger on and maybe i should go and re-watch it because i haven't seen it since i saw it in the theater but that was a very big anticipated movie because kubrick hadn't done a movie since 87 in full metal jacket and that was also another one that was a letdown and it was there was this was a summer where where not only did you have great great movies where you had the matrix and you had american pie and you had um a couple other ones that like went beyond your expectations you also had stuff like this where you really were anticipating a really great movie and it ended up being not what you expected or below your expectations or didn't blow you out of the water and and eyes wide shut was one of them at least at the time for me but then you have another movie that we went and saw the blair witch project just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry. Because it is my fault. Because it was my project. I am so scared. Um, Blair Witch to me Maybe one day Blair Witch will get its own episode of this of this podcast because this was, I had just, my spring semester of college, I took a class on popular culture. Uh, it was like a cultural studies class. It was an elective. I had room in my schedule to to fill it. And this was, this came out after that, and this was me kind of picking up on a mass media, multimedia, pop culture phenomenon that I'd never seen before this was using the web to promote a movie in a way that I hadn't seen before where, where unless you knew you eventually found out the movie was fake Go before going into it but even then um, they played up the truthfulness quote unquote of the mockumentary uh, that these three people had been lost in the woods outside of suburban Maryland or rural Maryland and uh, they found the footage a year later and this is what it is and all it is is the footage. It's title cards and it's just the footage strung together. It is a true found footage movie and um, what they had done was they did a a sci-fi channel special called The Curse of the Blair which within the background there's a book as well that to the background I owned the book and I owned a comic book that had some of the prequel stuff um and 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 there was a there was a I think it was a four-issue miniseries that did that and if you and I allowed myself to be immersed the only thing I didn't buy was the, the soundtrack but I allowed myself to be kind of be immersed in this idea of the Blair witch and the Blair witch project and then went and saw the movie and allowed myself to completely suspend disbelief like this is what I was seeing and it scared the living shit out of me. Um, I remember through most of the movie having that very, very scared feeling like when you're a little kid and you're lost Um, because they were lost in the woods. And I remember feeling that. And then going to the last shot of the movie and like having that stay with me for like at least a couple of days. And I remember my wife, I remember Amanda couldn't sleep. I mean, the two of us were frightened. I had friends who were like, oh, that fuck is scary? that fucking scary? Her movie's stupid. And I'm like, whatever, dude. I, I bought in I allowed myself to buy into the movie and I allowed myself to be scared. And that's why I remember that movie. And I think that's why people kept coming back to the film. Nobody expected this movie to do what it did. It was The the trailer was like, wait, I'd never heard of this movie before. I saw the trailer before, before Austin Powers, and I was like, what the hell is this? And I did a little bit of digging on the internet, and I was like, okay, did this really happen? And then it took a little bit for me to realize that, no, this didn't really happen, because if this had really happened, um, there would have been more actual news stories about it. Um, plus, the actors were still alive. But... Um, should have been a clue, but even then, I was like, "All right, you know, you know." Again, I was the whole idea of suspension of disbelief, and we're all going to see this movie. This movie made a ton of money. This was the surprise. This was the sleeper hit of the summer. This was the one that nobody expected to do very well because it was an in, it was an indie film. It was artisan entertainment. I mean, it was you know some some. It was a low budget movie, and and this was this was. uh it was a precursor to stuff like Paranormal Activity and and other movies that have tried to tried to varying degrees of success to cash in on the same type of, of film and in some ways started to redefine the horror genre because the very straightforward horror movies did not do as well. I mean, horror movies in general margin, do marginally well. They they're not you're not going to make. With a few exceptions, you're not going to make 200 million dollars off of a horror movie. Um, it's not, and, and you know you're going to make your budget back and maybe a little bit of a profit enough to turn out a sequel. I mean, that's what horror has always been box office wise. This and they they turned out Book of Shadows: Blair Witch Two, which is a steaming pile of shit. Um, but uh, but the but the idea behind this and and the, the phenomenon that 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 went around this was. Um, for that moment in 1999, uh, was pretty interesting because of because of how much of the media and how much promotion was around it, and how um, it was there was a, it was kind of an experiment. You know, it was almost like we're going to do this all this promotional stuff because we've really got nothing to lose. It's a low budget film. Let's go ahead and do this. Now there's all sorts of crazy. I mean, there was an entire television show lost. That had all sorts of crazy web stuff attached to it, and 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 there have been there have been attempts at at, at you know um, marketing movies this way that have failed or, or done well, and 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 I think you can go back to Blair Witch and, and see that. And like I said, I'm gonna um, I may not this year, but maybe next year, the year after, uh, around Halloween, uh, do a Blair Witch episode uh, because that would be that would be worth that would be worth doing. Number nine, uh, the second-to-last movie that I'm going to be talking about very briefly, is another horror film. Um, This one I did not see in the theater. I saw this on video. I had the ending spoiled to me by a morning zoo team. I think they were talking about it on Elliot in the morning. And somebody mentioned it. People got all pissed off at him. He's like, what? The movie's been out. You should have seen it by now. And you should have known the twist at the end. And that is the sixth sense. You know the accident up there? Yeah. A lady. She broke her neck. Oh, my God. Where is she? Standing next to my window. You have a secret, but you don't want to tell me. I see dead people walking around like regular people. I don't see anything. Are you sure they're there? They're everywhere. They want me to do things for them. I think that they know that you're one of these very rare people who can see them, so you need to help them. What if they don't want to help? I don't think that's the way it works. I know for sure. Not every gift. Is anyone there? Is a blessing. No! The sixth sense. Please make them leave I'm working on it. Which again had effective trailers and commercials because they were scary enough. You know, Haley Joel Osment going, "I see dead people," which was kind of one of the catchphrases of the summer. Uh, the movie itself, again, haven't seen it since about ninety nine two thousand. I remember liking it more than I thought I would, but beyond that, I don't like M Night Shyamalan's films. I am not a fan. of... Of movies where you know going in there's going to be a twist ending, and you're like, "What's the twist ending going to be?" It makes me feel like I don't know. I just I've never liked that. If you're going to put a twist ending on it, I want to be genuinely surprised by the twist. I want to not see it coming. That's the point of the twist ending. I shouldn't have to go into a movie thinking, "Ooh, there's a twist in this." Let's see if I can figure it out. I don't want to play a game in the movie. I want you to like. Let's let, you entertain me. Throw something at me and and have me come out of you know have me be unexpected rather than like be looking for it the entire time and that's why I didn't like the village and I didn't like signs um, I've never seen Unbreakable uh, but I, I just I think he kind of he showed himself as a little bit of a hack afterwards but this this is pretty tight this is pretty tight because the character development is 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 very well done um, it's a very sad movie from what I remember. And um, I mean, there are some great, great scares and some great, great scenes in it, but a lot of this movie is very, very sad beyond um, bad twist-ending theater, which is eventually what what his thing became. Um, If you want a good horror movie with a good twist, that's kind of a ghost story in this regard, uh, Go Rent the Others with Nicole Kidman. That That was another movie that was sad, but at the same time, that was, again, there's a twist in that that I really, really enjoyed. And and thought was done very, very well. Last movie that um, I'm gonna talk about today it came out on September seventeenth and that's a and one best picture for nineteen ninety nine, and that's American Beauty. Carolyn, I love your tie, that color. Nice going, Dad. Ricky, coming, Dad. Everyone, write out a job description. That way, management can assess who's valuable and who's expendable. My parents are trying to take an active interest in me. Why can't they just have their own lives? I am so proud of you. You didn't screw up once. Oh my God. It's a psycho next door. Jane, what if he worships you? I didn't mean to scare you. I'm not obsessing. I'm just curious. Why does he dress like a Bible salesman? Today I quit my job, and then I blackmailed my boss for almost $60,000 past these fairs. Your dad's actually kind of cute. I think he and your mother have not slept together in a long time. Shut up. You think you're the only one who's frustrated. I'm not? Well then, come on, baby, I'm ready. Welcome to America's weirdest home videos. This is for your own good, boy. There are rules in life. Yes, sir. Don't give up on me, Dad. Smile, you're at Mr. Smiley's. You are so busted. I love shooting this gun. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world. I feel like I can't take it. I rule. Ah! If I had to leave tonight, would you come with me? Yes. Uh, Kevin Spacey plays Lester Burnham, who is a going through a midlife crisis, essentially, has a wife, played by Emmett Benning, and a daughter, Thora Birch, I believe, played her. And he Spacey's character gets a crush on the neighbor, who is Mina Suvari, who was in American Pie as well. And it's the movie that I kept thinking of before I went and saw it was um, Ordinary People, with Timothy Hutton, Donald Sutherland, and uh, Mary Tyler Moore. And it owes a lot to that. Uh, It owes a lot to the ice storm. And um, also just the Peyton Place and some of the everything is not so right in suburbia type of of stories that were cliche already by that time. Um, I haven't seen it since about 2000. This might get its own episode as well. Um, or at least that sort of genre of suburban malaise uh, because I, I do kind of enjoy those. But I remember this being great in some places, deserving of best picture in, in, in quite a number of places, but also a little bit a little bit overdone in others. Uh, especially when you talk about the soundtrack, especially when you're talking about certain moments that I think if I were to watch it again would seem like they, they that might not hold up as well as you uh as as you think they would. Um but there are there are elements of this that, that I was I was really really appreciative of. And I remember after seeing this not that I didn't go to the movies for a while, but I remember this was around a time of, it was late 99, or early 2000 when I finally saw it. And um, I went and saw it by myself because I was off that day. Uh, Amanda had already seen it. And we, this was the time we were living in Arlington by then, and we didn't go to the movies as much. Uh, we went out to bars, we hung out together. Uh, the movies had become expensive because there was this giant Hoyts movie theater that was just ridiculously expensive to go to. We we would go to the Arlington Cinema and Draft House and see second-run movies, but not to the extent that we were seeing movies when we were were dating and um, living at our parents, because I think by then we were in the city and... City life in the movies just just weren't mixing up back in, in 99 and 2000. So that's why I ended with American Beauty and, and ended with kind of the end of the summer there. Um, there were other movies uh, in, this, in this summer. Uh, Julia Roberts had this big comeback in 99 with two movies, Notting Hill and Runaway Bride, neither of which I've seen, but Notting Hill is her and Hugh Grant, I believe, and Runaway Bride is her and Richard Gere. Um, those were huge romantic comedies. I remember bus ads with her with her and gear from Rennery Bride, and she's like lacing up sneakers or something. Um, the Mummy, I remember being big. Um, Outside Providence was one of my favorite movies of that year, uh, and I saw that on video, but I really, really liked that movie. Uh, Election is, a, is another wonderful film that's worth checking out. Uh, the biggest disappointment, I think, that year was not The Phantom Menace. It was Wild Wild West. I remember, because you got to remember, Will Smith, since 96, had almost owned the box office in the summer. Uh, between that and you had Bad Boys and you had Men in Black. And this was going to be like, I remember um, MTV had been running specials all uh, year called something blank that rocked the 90s and right around the time of the MTV Movie Awards they ran 10 movie moments that rocked the 90s and um, you had stuff like they were talking about pulp fiction they talked about Dazed and Confused they talked about you know these movies back here and there uh, Titanic and one of them was They, one of them, they were just making this bold prediction about the summer of '99 and Will Smith like really owning the box office. And there was basically this kind of segment that's almost like a glorified promo for Wild Wild West. I don't know anybody who wanted to see this movie, it looked stupid. And from what I remember, it bombed and it bombed big. Um, the only takeaway I've ever had from Wild Wild West is the story that Kevin Smith tells. Uh, on the uh, evening with Kevin Smith thing where it, from his days is uh trying to write the Superman movie and John Peters wanting a giant mechanical spider and then you know getting the mechanical spider in um in the Wild Wild West I mean this was uh this is again where the chinks in the armor of, of Will Smith's armor started to appear in his box office prowess and because and, the they, they hyped they overhyped that movie I mean it was like desperation hype. I mean, Star Wars Episode One was hyped to holy hell, but this was—you knew Star Wars Episode One was going to be hyped to holy hell because it was Star Wars Episode One. Is again, like, like, like I said, the anticipation of that movie was on the level of Burton's Batman movie in '89. I mean, that's the only thing I can ever compare it to from a little kid. But with Wild Wild West, it was like, wow, you are trying to make fetch happen, aren't you guys? And um, which is a reference from five years later. But. uh, so so yeah so you've got you've got your clunkers in there but overall again as i just kind of scroll down and look at this uh look at this list this is a great summer this is a great summer for movies and this is a great summer that if you were interested in reliving it you could all these movies are on video or on streaming or on television quite a bit and you could go back through them and see uh, you know, I want to go back through some of these and see whether or not they hold up, or try to see what the hype was about, or, or something like that. But but overall, um, this was this was a solid, not just a solid. This was an exceptional exceptional summer for film, uh, and and it was a great time to be a moviegoer. Uh, it's in in it, since then there have been summers where where stuff has come out. I don't get to the movies as much as I want to. Anymore, although they just last year opened up a brand new uh multiplex stadium seating multiplex in Charlottesville, and I've been to the movies probably more in the last couple of years than I had been before. Then again, um, you know, I was going to see stuff like the Lego movie, but um, the Lego movie was awesome, but I've seen like Muppets, what the hell is it, Muppets Most Wanted, and so you know, my wife and I go see kids' movies with Brett, um and but we've we've been to a couple of movies on our own. I went to see Man of Steel. I mean there have been summers since 1999 where it felt just as important to go to the movies. Um and so that's this isn't the last gasp of movie going, but um this is one of those movies like 1984. Um, it, this has been 30 years since 1984, and I'm actually going to be reviewing Police Academy for a blogathon in conjunction with the Forgotten Film Cast uh, later this summer. But there was a uh, post the other day on it was IO9 or, or Gawker or something like this. Is all the stuff that came out on on this day in, 90, in 1984, and it was like Ghostbusters, The Karate Kid, and 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 all these other movies, and you forget like how big. And so every once in a while at least once a decade, you get one, maybe even two years where just everything is there and everything is out and you you cannot get to the movie theater fast enough. And that's what 1999 was. Next time, um, I am taking a couple weeks uh, off. I'm going to try to get this podcast up on, you can hear me flipping through my notebook to find my Um, to find my schedule. So I'm going to try to keep myself on a schedule, and my next schedule podcast is going to try to be in a couple of weeks. It is going to be what I call the 1994 Grab Bag, just getting it smaller size stuff from 94 that um, I didn't want to fit into an old blog entry I didn't want to fit into their own episode of a podcast so maybe I'll just grab five ten things at random and just go through them kind of like this talk about them and uh, hopefully you'll you'll come back and enjoy that once again if you'd like to leave feedback please do email me at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com go to the Facebook page leave a comment or leave a comment on the blog which is popcultureaffidavit.com Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope you guys go out and rent some of those movies. Please go out and listen to Magnus' 50th episode. I'll be a guest star on that. And thank you very much for listening. You have reached the end of another episode of Pop Culture Affidavit. All music clips, or other material used in this podcast are the property of their respective copyright holders, and as this podcast is intended for entertainment and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Clips, pictures, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, a blog where each week I take a look at a random thing in the world of popular culture and give my opinion as well as personal experience and memories I have with it, which is located at PopCultureAffidavit.com. Feedback and other comments about this podcast can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and come back next time for some more pop culture randomness.